Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Talking Shop, which is the podcast all about Photoshop. In this episode, I have a great chat with Lisa Carney, a professional retoucher. My name is Dave Cross. I've been teaching Photoshop since 1990 when it first came out. And in the last year or so, I've been doing these podcasts to share some thoughts about Photoshop and interview some people like today's guest, Lisa Carney. Lisa's a very interesting person. She's been a professional retoucher in the beauty and entertainment industries for many years. I think the most interesting way to describe her, she said herself, as you'll hear, when I asked her, where can we go to see your work? And she kind of paused and said, just go to into your local movie theater and you'll see my work there. So it's a really interesting chat and I hope you'll enjoy the time I spent talking with Lisa Carney. All right, I'm here with Lisa Carney, who has joined in for a chat. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So this may be a question that might be harder to answer because I don't know if you do have such a thing as a typical day, but what's a typical day in the life of, of Lisa? Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, no, I do not have a typical day, uh, <laughs> rarely. However, I try to keep some of it um, regimented, if, if I could say that. So I'm a single mom. I have a teenage boy. So the morning starts with getting that kid out of, out of the house, which is a challenge. And then I go for a run. And then I do a job. Generally, so my job is are, I have a freelance or my own business uh, where I'll do a bunch of work. And then I often have to go in-house to ad agencies to do work that is more, let's just say, secure in nature. So I need to be on site. So I'll often from six in the morning to nine in the morning, do my, my standard projects and then commute into a location in LA and spend another eight hours, 10 hours doing a, another job. And these are typically commercial projects, advertising, that kind of thing? Yeah. So my, my, my business gig is often beauty and um, fashion, some editorial, and some smaller scale entertainment work. That would be what I would do uh, off-site. And then on-site, it's streaming, TV, entertainment, uh, news newspaper ads, billboards for theatrical, that kind of thing. Interesting. So... It's taking a step back. How did you end up doing this for a living? Like, how did what was your path to get to this point? Yeah, you know, that's a kind of interesting left-handed turn, I would say. Um, I started in photography. I have a degree in photography, and I was an editorial portrait shooter. And, well, you don't make a lot of money doing editorial portrait <laughs> there, unfortunately. And I had some pretty massive student loans to pay off. And at the time I was starting out, Photoshop was really just getting going. I mean, layers didn't even exist when I first started using Photoshop, but I had a knack for it. I had a knack for compositing. Um, my personal work, my photography, my editorial work was layering transparencies and slides together to create images. So I kind of, that whole layer thing was already in my mindset. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall. People were saying, oh, this digital stuff is not going to take over. Photoshop's not going to take over. And I thought, yeah, I kind of think it is. And I was really lucky where I worked, there was a proprietary hardware, I'll explain that in one second, um, 
entertainment ad agency. And what happens there is they had these million dollar machines like a Quantel paint box or a Shimaseki, and they were doing movie poster compositing. And I love movie posters and movies. And I thought, I want to do that. So I started working there and getting trained up there. And then Max took over and Photoshop took over. Mm-hmm. So that makes Interesting. Sense. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe now when, especially with Photoshop on the iPad, that it wasn't that long ago that the machines required to do that work were literally like big, expensive machines. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. And also, Dave, I got to tell you, I can remember when folks said uh, film was never going to die. <laughs> right. Can you imagine? Now? Yeah. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. It was. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I, I used to work at an Apple dealer, and at one point, a, a rep from Canon came in to show us this new device, which was called a still video camera. So it was sort of the predecessor of digital cameras, but it took like a single frame of video. So it was video quality, but it looked like a today's DSLR. Right. And, and the newspapers were like very intrigued with it because of the immediacy, but the quality wasn't quite there yet. But it was uh, pretty clumsy. Like I remember the the drive to put the little disc in was like enormous. Considering today you just slap it into your laptop and you're good to go. You know? Yeah, I mean it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I um, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting progress. And in fact, I'll tell you, I feel like we're at the cusp of, of another one of those giant changes with mobile editing. And um, now people in my business are like, oh, retouching on the iPad's never going to happen. They're not powerful enough. And I can remember when the quad came out, the Mac quad, and that's what really was a game changer because you had the, the, the horsepower to actually do the work you needed to do. Sure. And SideQuest drives, then Jazz drives, so you had the storage space. Well, I mm-hmm. think the same thing kind of revolutionary-wise is going to happen in our industry that we're going to become mobile. That's interesting you should say that because I've had discussions in the past on this podcast about the mobile side of things. And and then for me, I'm always, my first thought is I'm not Adobe's demographic because it's more aimed at the younger generation who do everything on their mobile device because I travel with an iPad and a phone, but also a laptop. <laughs> so given a choice, I'm going to use my laptop. Right. Because it's the most powerful. But I'm trying to remember who it was, was telling me that someone wrote their entire term paper on an iPhone because to them, that was just their device, you know, which I. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm not I'm not their demographic either, but I don't want to be obsolete. So I've steadily been working on using Photoshop for the iPad. Uh, I'm clumsy as heck at it. I, it's not, I'm just not used to that process, mm-hmm. but I can see the writing on the wall. It's coming. So even in your industry that at the higher end, there's, you think that might be a, something that starts to happen? I'm certain of it. Really? Interesting. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not, uh, I'm not in, uh, there's a lot of people who disagree with me. Let mm-hmm. me put it that sure. way, but I'm, I'm certain of it. I'll tell you, there was a movie poster done not that long ago for grand tour and the art director used uh, a filter that you can only use on a phone or an ipad hmm. like an illustration style filter mm-hmm. and we had to output the the file to a ipad redo the filter and then resend it to the to the desktop to to do the job and i think you're going to find that hmm. more and more interesting it is interesting isn't it one of the things that's 
come up in other conversations that's pretty crazy to think that people have this expectation on their mobile device that they just press a button and add an effect. And yet in Photoshop, it's like 10 steps <laughs> to do the same thing for the yes. 99 yeah. cent app. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you that app for that movie poster is a $2.99 app. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, keep in mind, we had to do the full compositing, full masking, full retouching in the standard Photoshop and then out put it to get the filter effect at the end. But I'm telling you, day's coming. So uh, on the topic of technology, I, I noted when I was reading a little bit about you that at one point you were living in France for a while and doing everything technology-based in, in terms of like communicating with people and doing work. How did that evolve? I have to tell you, that was so amazing. Um, it evolved because, it, well, it was a personal evolution, really. Uh, I, as I said, I have a, a child, and in my industry, we work really long hours, 12-hour days. And he was with me at the studio until he was two. And then I realized, I'm never going to see this kid. Hmm. I'm never going to go to a soccer game. It's, wait a minute, this isn't on. And so we sold up everything, moved to rural France. And I mean backwoods, rural France. Hmm. But their infrastructure is so amazing there. And um, so, yeah, I was able to, God love the internet. I was able to continue my work and send files along and it was fantastic. And, I, and Dave, I'll tell you, that's one of the things about this particular industry that I've chosen or my, my skill set is I can, honest to God, work anywhere mm -hmm. and do a job. I did a Speedo swimwear catalog sitting on a floor in Florence, Italy. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I still got to go on vacation. I, I just had to work four hours a day mm -hmm. and then go out and eat some pasta and come back and do some more. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Considering it, based on what we were talking about a few moments ago, it doesn't seem that long ago that rotating a photograph 10 degrees would take like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, I used to, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to work at a service bureau way back in the day and we'd output film. And if someone had an image that they imported into Quark, scaled it and rotated it one degree, it would take four hours to process. <laughs> Ooh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I used to run a service bureau at a Apple dealer and we uh, got to the point where we made a big sign that was like the Corel Draw logo with the like big X through it because anytime someone brought a Corel file it was just like it would let you do things on the screen that could just never print. You know, right? <laughs> but people right. are like, well, yeah. how come it won't print? I, it looks fine on my screen. It was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, for me, that got me really good at being accurate about size and rotation mm -hmm. and scale. So in my workflow, man, I am very particular about file size. I don't overbuild. I build yep. to the need of the job period because I can't tell you how many how many nights I spent waiting for a file because it was way oversized. So from a standpoint of listeners who are doing retouching for their work, obviously there's lots of options for ways to retouch from, you know, the high end like frequency separation. How would you suggest as someone who's trying to ease their way into doing some retouching to learn techniques that are going to work for them without taking too much time? Ooh. All right. So I, I am of the belief, and again, I might be in the minority here, that it's really imperative to get really good skill sets and then get fast. And I really want to emphasize this because how I feel it is, is folks are always looking to get quick before they get good. And if you get good or really understand your methodology, then you will be super rocking fast. Makes sense. So I'm always proposing folks to slow way down and, and really learn technique 
and then go for speed. So in that sense, I would say for people starting out retouching, the key thing to know is they have to know file size management, file management. You know, are you in RGB? Are you in CMYK? How big is your file? Where's the destination? That's imperative. It's kind of a roadmap. They have to know color correcting, color manipulation, and it doesn't really matter how they do that but that they do know that. So that's curves or levels or color lookup tables and masking, hands down masking is probably singularly the most important skill to learn. And within that there's fast ways and slow ways. And sometimes on a job, the slow way is the better skill to use for mm-hmm. that particular job. Sure. And so I think being methodical about learning those maybe four or five areas is probably more beneficial than just learning how to be fast. Does that make sense? That makes really good sense because I've had that experience where people say, I'm trying to get faster at Photoshop, and yet they don't seem to really understand the what I would call the core skills. So they're just, all they're thinking about is getting it done fast. But it's like, well, you still have to know how to mask and how to how to work with brushes and whatever it is. Well, and that's what makes you fast. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like dancing. You know, you take, the, you take the slow steps, you learn the cha-cha-cha one tiny step at a time, and then you can scream through it, but you sure. have to go slow. So my classes, like if anybody, uh, I have classes on Creative Live, for example. I'm not a quick tip person. That's not what I'm teaching. What I'm trying to teach is fundamentals so that folks can work their way through their files quickly later down the line. And so that folks know how the machine works so that when Photoshop has an upgrade and your favorite filter is no longer there or someone's presets that you bought no longer work with the new upgrade, you're not stuck because you know how the machine works. Now, what do you think about the idea of, I have a pet peeve that photographers practice their craft, but Photoshop users don't seem to in as much like just doing something for the point of practicing, not because you have a deadline. A hundred percent. You're, you're a hundred percent accurate. I would suggest that for, well, for me, I'll take, I'll take myself, for example, frequency separation when that came out uh, or got really popular. I, I was very resistant because I have my jobs. I have my clients, I have my deadlines and I didn't have time to learn on the job. And so frequency separation is the most recent skill set that I learned off offline, as I call it, where it wasn't a job, where I was just doing personal work or exercise. And I think I would suggest for folks who are, who are kind of getting started or, or even seasoned professionals, personal work is often an avenue where you can try new techniques. So for example, color lookup tables. I wasn't used to using color lookup tables. I'm a curve and levels gal. And they were getting more and more popular. We had more and more jobs where the the original concept was coming from the AV side and their color lookup people. So I started doing personal work and I made myself use color lookup tables for this personal job. And then that way it became, I don't know, kind of a habit or I, my, I had muscle memory for it. And then when I started doing jobs, I could incorporate it. Sure. So yeah, I would say it, you're 100% accurate. If folks would practice new techniques in Photoshop, very much like photographers do, they really excel. Well, and the other thing is that the worst time to try and learn a new skill is when you've got a, a deadline fast approaching. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. And I think sometimes what, ha- I cannot agree with you anymore or, or stronger on this point. And I think what happens with folks in, in retouchers, if you're working retouching all day, how likely is it on a Saturday morning you want to get back on that computer 
and practice. Right. It's hard, but it takes mm-hmm. some discipline. Yeah. That's why personal work is good for that. You know, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And for people who, uh, who wonder about personal work, the best advice I've ever been given is just give yourself a, a, a self-assignment, even if it's simple as just saying, I don't know, the color red and go out and shoot a few photographs and then see what you can do with them. Absolutely. Oh, I'll tell you uh, something that's been really kind of cool for me. I started a personal series about um, a year ago. I went through a really rough breakup and it was my business partner and my life partner. And so it was really painful and dramatic. And I started this grief series and it was all personal work. And now I'm about to have my second art show with it. It's um, you can see it on Behance if anyone's interested in checking it out. And it's been this amazing cathartic process, but also a place to learn new skills mm-hmm. because there's no client, there's no money, there's no attachment to outcome. So I've really been really free. Nice. And on top of that, I suppose it's when you're doing something that has something that's more personal to you, it's easier to put in that effort to, to work on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I, as I like to say, I've got some heat to it. There's, there's some passion <laughs> in it. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to continue this chat in just a moment. But first, it's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is about something called extensions in Photoshop. If you go to the window menu, You'll see there's an option called Find Extensions on Exchange. And this is something called Adobe Exchange, where people can post things, everything from actions and panels they've made, all kinds of interesting add-ons to Photoshop. Many of them are free. Some have a slight cost. But you can take a look at them there and quickly download them and add them into Photoshop. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. All right, we're back with Lisa, and I want to share uh, some really important information that I learned about Lisa the very first time I met you at Photoshop Week, and that is your movie star status in a movie that keeps coming up. It was just on the other day, and I waited till the end of the movie just so I could see you again. <laughs> so let our listeners know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you got to cut loose, foot loose. <laughs> I happen to have been in the original Footloose movie. That is true. At the end, in the big dance scene for the prom, and you can 100% see me because I'm the only person wearing white shoes. <laughs> my feet hurt really bad, and I took the costume shoes they gave us off, and I put my 1980s white tulip shoes on and you can absolutely see me in all my stunning glory <laughs> so what what led to that happening was it just something that they were looking for extras and yeah you know it's the benefits of growing up in los angeles and in high school i used to go to the clubs and go dancing i was a little rebellious and i was really fat and i didn't care <laughs> i loved dancing so these uh casting people came by and gave out cards, and I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding. Who wants me in a movie? And But I went on the casting call, and they had all these skinny mini gals, professional dancers, and I thought, oh, there's no way they're going to pick me. But I was having so much fun, and I didn't care. They picked me. <laughs> got to miss a week of school. It was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, now, once I knew of your involvement, boy, that movie's on a lot. <laughs> Honey, I still get residual checks. Are you ready for this? I mean, I, I'm not going to tell people how old I am, but you can figure it, do the math yourself. I'm old. 
And I was in high school when I did that. I still get to this day residual checks because I was classified <laughs> as a dancer. Nice. So I'm a professional dancer, much to my son's horror. Now, when that movie comes on, is he like, oh, God, Mom, not again? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, <laughs> I showed him when we moved back from France. I thought it was such a cool thing. I'm like, oh, baby, let me show you. Mom was in a movie. And I'm going to quote him after he watched the little YouTube clip. My eyes, my eyes. I can't unsee that. Oh, my eyes. That's what he said. <laughs> Cheers. Children. Got to love yes. them. <laughs> now, just to change gears a little bit, from the kind of work you're doing, what would you say has been, obviously, let me take a step back. There's been a lot of technology enhancements in Photoshop over the last few years. Has there been any in particular that's kind of changed your workflow or, or the time it takes to do things? Absolutely. So I thought the heel tool, when that first came out, was going to put me out of a job. Hmm. Because it is so powerful. Uh, the only blessing is for me <laughs> as a retoucher is it's kind of hard to, for folks to figure out how to use it, especially when there's light and darks next to each other. Thank right. goodness for me because it keeps me uh, employed. And the other one, honest to God, is the content aware. Content aware, Phil, oh my goodness. Game changer. Absolute game changer. Now, I've, I've always said when, when you're f talking to people who don't know about Photoshop, they tend to say things like, well, just, you know, take glasses off his face and make him face that way and all these like crazy directions. How often does that happen to you? Do you still have art directors or someone that kind of has unrealistic expectations? Every day. Every day. So I'll tell you two stories. First story is uh, many years ago before 9-11, uh, we were doing a Miss America ad for ABC. And when you're doing an advert for uh, Miss America, they don't know who's on it, right? So that because they haven't picked, they haven't picked the contestants yet. So they had all these models dogpiling for a crown. It was a really great ad. And of course, they're facing away from camera because we don't have a, the actual contestants. And uh, a creative director walked in and said, this is great. Now let's do one where you flip them all the other way. <laughs> well, they never shot it the other way. And I was like, "You wait, wait, what? Uh, no, there's no button for that. And um, I will tell you another business solution that I'm often recommending to agencies is hire a retoucher to be on your photo shoots. Mm. Because there is this disconnect between what will take five minutes to fix on set and four hours to retouch, or what will take two minutes to retouch, but five hours to fix on set. And there's this huge disconnect. And for a pretty minimal cost, you can have a retoucher on set who's proofing your work as you're shooting right. and just verifying what to do now, what to do later. That makes perfect sense. Simple things save like like rubber band legs. This drives me crazy. But for catalog shoots or gallery shoots for actors, if the stylist would stand next to the photographer and just pull those leg pant legs down mm. to straighten them, you wouldn't get those windy rubber right. band legs which take forever to retouch. Hmm. It's doable, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of money. That makes such perfect sense. And you would think that would just be something that would happen by nature, that people would be yeah. <laughs> taking advantage of, of that ability. Uh, Dave, it's crazy. So for someone me, my caliber, my, my level of expertise, I'm 1500 bucks to show up on a photo shoot. I can unquestionably save them five to $10,000 mm -hmm. in retouching by just being on set. But it's a line item, and folks get scared by right. that one line item at the beginning, and they're not looking down mm. the road long enough. Now, applying that theory to photographers, listeners of, of ours, 
I've always suggested that if you're out there working with a model or even just shooting backgrounds or something, shoot as many different angles and heights and give yourself options. It takes an extra couple of minutes that you don't have to worry about later on when you think, oh, I wish I had their them facing sideways or whatever it might be. Yeah, I actually have a whole guide where it's it's a coverage guide. It's up, down, left, right. It's um, hands, hands, eyes, shooting eyes, like like glasses. I wear glasses. And if you just rotate your, your person's uh, face just for a few mm-hmm. frames so you get the glare. And let's say the shot you really want to use has glare. No big deal. You strip in some eyes because you have them. Yeah, I call that coverage. It makes good sense, but it's... I think it comes back to the same thing that people, for some reason, think Photoshop is this magical tool that you can do anything with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a, a course on Creative Live called The Business of Retouching. And part of the section is one, it talks about coverage and uh, not cropping in camera, doing headshot, three quarter, full length. And then I have a whole section where I talk about what you can do on set that will save you a, a lot of money in post things to watch out for, hmm. what to look look for. And it's, I thought it would be common sense, but it, it's not. Well, I, and in part, I blame Hollywood from, or for all those TV episodes where they, they bring the, the dark, out of focus video from the parking garage and the technician just taps his keyboard and says, there we go. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. So people see it's that and they go, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I will tell you, it, in my work, I deal with this daily. I had a, a recent job, a product, a food product shot. It was shot in a lifestyle manner, and they sent me a picture. Imagine someone standing by a barbecue grilling some hamburger, and the, the product is tilted at an angle on the barbecue. And they were redoing their labels and redoing their product, and they wanted it replaced. They sent me a shot from above, flat on the ground, of the product and they wanted it placed inside the scene. And I said, I can't, it's all distorted. I can't twist. I can't in Photoshop, just rotate (laughs) this meat and make it look like it's normal. Mm -hmm. I can't on the label, but not on the product itself. That's, that's really interesting to me to think that even at that people in that industry would, would still not have a understanding of how the technology works. Yeah. Well, and I think when you said about Hollywood, I think we do miracles. We really do. We create some pretty amazing things and folks aren't privy to how we do it. So they're like, oh, anything can be created from this. But what they don't realize is, you know, I I went out with my iPhone and shot that hand at a different angle and put it in. And they Mm -hmm. think I just rotated what they gave me. Right. And I didn't. I just reshot it. (laughs) I just don't tell them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You got to keep some of the magic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I'm a solutions provider. I am at service of my client and my job is to provide a solution. It's not to maybe necessarily involve them in all the minutia of it. It's just to solve the problem. Right, makes sense. By hook or crook. So you mentioned before about things like content-aware fill and how much that changed things for you. If if you were in, suddenly put in charge of Adobe, what would be the, the couple things that you would consider maybe changing or adding to Photoshop? Okay, for me, um, and I talk to Adobe all the time, so I've, I've got them on my speed dial. I'm always making suggestions. The biggest thing for my workflow, and I know this is a very personal uh, workflow as opposed to maybe someone who works in their own shop, 
is having the camera raw filter, having those elements available as outside adjustment layers. So for example, in camera raw, there is some, um, they have the cut temperature and color, the tint slider on the top. Mm-hmm. They have the clarity dehaze texturizer. Well, what happens in my business is I have to give Netflix, for example, images that are completely modular, which means they can move any person in any position anywhere. And if um, the art director who created the design used a flat file with camera raw to get their look, it is a nightmare for me to try to reproduce those looks on a later file. But I know Mm -hmm. that is very industry specific. Yeah. And the other thing I wish Adobe would make it is that you cannot have a layer that's not labeled. Label your layers, people. They make me crazy. I don't know if I've told this story on a previous podcast episode, but I'll tell again. I used to work with an incredibly talented Photoshop artist, and he sent me a document. And of course, it was all like layer seven, copy two, and all this kind of stuff. So I said, Can you please, please name your layers? So he did. And the next time I opened it, the layers were called Fred. Jane, Amanda, and I was like, thank, thanks so much. That's. I just thought of a word that wasn't very polite. I won't say it on your podcast, but I have a name for your friends. <laughs> I was yes. like, that's very funny, but yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I will tell you, it's my biggest, biggest pet peeve in, in my professional work. And I think it's 100% unprofessional to be delivering files to fellow colleagues, not mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Completely it's funny because I, when I teach beginners classes, I'm always saying, guys, you got in the, got in the habit of naming your layers. It's going to save you time. And then I look at my personal files and I'm like, oh, look at those layers I have that don't have a name. <laughs> but I know yeah. that's for me and I can figure it out. So it's not like it's not as crucial. Yeah. And if it's just for a job, though, for a job, if you're if you're sharing files or for clients. It's just, and, and you're right, Dave, it's a habit. So why not start at the beginning? If you, you get into that habit now, it'll be rote and it'll be so fast for you and you right. won't even think about it. I'm darkening the bottom, you know, highlight in yeah. eyes, color mm-hmm. on cheekbone, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's so easy to do it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And time is money. It's all about money. So for me, when I'm doing, when I do my billings for my job, the job has the price that the job warrants. So I'll give you an example. Like, let's say you're doing headshots and it's two hours of retouching or three hours of retouching is what that job warrants. That's what the Mm -hmm. the pay deserves for that caliber of work. Well, after 30 years of using Photoshop, I'm effing fast. Mm-hmm. But I still charge what that job sure. warrants. And that's yeah. the, what I get for all my extra time I put in in training and all this work. And that's mm-hmm. how you earn more money. Part yeah. of that is as simple as labeling your layers or having mm-hmm. really clean file construction. That's where you save money. Now, how often do you end up sharing layer documents with, with clients? Now, it's 99.9% of the time. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it used to be very rare. And I will do things where it's, I don't consider it necessarily a proprietary thing. Like I don't want to show them my tricks mm-hmm. because I feel like if you know how to use curves and levels and you can retouch better than me, well, then you deserve to 
have that job. Sure. However, I do minimize the layers because I'm afraid someone's going to make a mistake. For example, I do. Mm -hmm. ne I never deliver a job with frequency separation expanded. Ever. Right. Mm -hmm. I merge those layers because I don't want someone opening it up and going, ah. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yes, anymore, I, I'm delivering layered files 99% of the time now. Awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, things like Behance. Where's the best place that people want to go and see some of your work? Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a, such an interesting thing. Well, just go to your movie theater and you'll see some work. <laughs> uh, I, own, I use Behance for my personal work. So my art, my, my grief series, uh, my photography. On my website at lisacarney.com, you can see some of my work. I... <laughs> I don't want this to sound arrogant. I've just been doing this so long that I don't really put much up there. Mm -hmm. My website is really for my uh, vehicle for teaching, just to show people who I am. Sure. Because I've been doing this so long, I don't really need to advertise. I'm really mm -hmm. lucky that way. So, um, but you can see some of my work on lisacarney.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lisa, for joining me. That was uh, very interesting to hear your journeys in the world of professional retouching. Well, cool. Well, thank you very much. And I encourage your listeners. Retouching is a great field to get into. There's not a ton of people doing it. So there's still some space in there for people to get in there. Awesome. All right. Thanks cool. again. Thank you very much, Dave. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a great time talking with Lisa and reminiscing about the good old days of Photoshop. But also, I think you'll agree she had some great suggestions for ways to get better at Photoshop, how you can get faster at Photoshop by just really getting better at the basic skills, even if it means you have to slow down at first to learn those skills. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment and go to the Apple Podcasts and leave a review or share this with your Photoshop using friends. I'm Dave Cross. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.